Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are in a teaching series right now, coming to you each Sabbath morning. Our program is entitled Messianic Teachings for Christians, and there's really kind of two, two elements to that. We are sharing about what we Messianic believers believe in the Scripture and about the Lord with our Christian friends, and at the same time, we're kind of affirming what we Messianic believers, we believe. In other words, the rationale behind why we believe the things that we believe. And in this series, we've already covered a number of topics. Everything from the Jesus came to keep the law and fulfill the law, meaning not to make it go away, but rather to teach it, make it more full for us. And we've talked about Sabbath, we've talked about kosher, we've talked about Hebrew time and how to do that a number of subjects that we Messianics believe. And as I shared with you in the just most recent episodes, not everybody that's a Christian is going to agree with what I've been sharing with you. In fact, most Christian leaders are gonna disagree with what I am sharing with you. And in the last couple of episodes, I took an article that was written by a knowledgeable Christian leader and teacher and let him kind of review all the things that I've been sharing with you. And, and then he gave his counter argument as to why he thought that maybe what I'm sharing with you is incorrect. And I, as I pointed out to you, I'm going to let you be the judge as to what you hear me say and what you hear them say, so to speak, and you decide for yourself as a Christian, you decide, is that what you really believe, what they have said, or do you believe what I have showed you that the Lord has said? And it's that simple, folks. I'm sharing with you what God has said, what the Bible really does say, and they're sharing with you their explanations to make what the Bible said go somewhere else. Literally, some of their explanations are to make what God said in the scriptures just go away. And I'm posing the question to you as to whether or not you think that's right. Do you think it's correct for God to give you a command and a man to come along and say, you don't have to keep that command? I'm going back to the very words that Yeshua said when he was discussing this subject, overarching thing that we've been talking about. He said, if any man teaches you so as to annul the least of these commandments, he shall be least in the kingdom. I think that's a pretty clear statement on behalf of the Messiah that would give guidance to us in the discussion that we're having. I'm sharing with you the things that the scriptures said, what the Lord has said about himself, and we have other men over here, albeit they're called believers, and they're sincere and they're true in their faith, and they're saying things that are the opposite of what we've heard the Lord say. Now, I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time on dealing with those, but the fact of the matter is, you as a Messianic believer, you're gonna to have to contend with other brethren, family members, friends, other church brethren, when they're, they're gonna take issue with you if you start obeying the commandments of the Lord. They're gonna say that what you're doing is inappropriate, that somehow you're falling from grace, you're, you're walking away from the real Jesus, and you're not doing what the Lord really said. 
and they're going to be very stern about this. They're, they're going to put you on, on, on your heels. They're going to make you be defensive about that. I don't think that's really correct and the appropriate thing to do. If we're really loving the brethren, I think we ought to be trying to be as understanding as we can for one another. I have lots of Christian friends who don't necessarily agree with me, and I, I don't go around judging them, but there are definite differences, and if you want to discuss them and, and understand them, I'll share what the differences are. And I think that we need to be as accurate as we can about what the other person's position is and why they believe the way they do, at least repeat correctly what they say, and then repeat correctly what we say, and then, then we can make a clear comparison. Obviously, one of the complications in such a discussion is if suddenly the other party is saying things about you and what you believe that are just not correct, they're just not true. That's very difficult to have an honest discussion. If, if they're saying all manner of things about you that you say, no, that's not what I say about myself. That's what a lot of men do with God. They tell God, you know, things about God that God said, that's, that's not who I am. That's not what I said about myself. But it's called theology, and we have a lot of men who go around explaining God to us rather than just listening to what God says about himself. And if you're going to have an honest conversation and be able to sort out disagreements and differences, we have to be accurate about assessing and repeating back what another person has said. One of the things that I have been sharing with you that is one of the major differences in Messianic teaching, what I'm sharing with you versus what Christian teaching is, there's a whole nother vocabulary that comes from the Hebrew Bible. I'm not saying the Jewish Bible. I'm not saying Jewish things. I'm saying the Hebrew Bible. I'm talking about Abraham and his descendants. And this Bible is a Hebrew book. It's written by Hebrew people. Very few Jews actually wrote this stuff. One of them, one of the most dominant one, is the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew. The vast majority of the Bible is written by Hebrews, but even Paul will assert to you that he was a Hebrew. And if you skip that, and then you decide everything you don't like, we'll call it Jewish, everything you disagree with, we'll call Jewish, and you assert yourself and define yourself off of something that's negative, your conclusions are going to be in error. Many of my Christian brethren have a whole different vocabulary for this book than what this book represents. And that's part of the consternation and the confusion that comes in. The reason why they're going to be confused and frustrated and disagree with you that how dare you keep Sabbath? How dare you decide you're going to keep kosher? How, you know, you're not doing what we do, and we have a whole nother definition for that, and you're going back to that old biblical definition. Oh, by the way, I think that's what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to follow what the scripture says. I don't think we're supposed to follow the precepts and traditions of religious men. I think Yeshua taught that pretty emphatically how they prefer their precepts and their traditions to the actual commandments. Now, I have another document, 
and the reason why I've selected to review this is that beyond the article that I reviewed with you in the past episodes, this is a book called Messianic Judaism. The author's name is Douglas Jacoby. He's Dr. Jacoby. He's a very qualified Christian leader. He's a professor at some Christian universities, and he's written a book in which that he wants to explain Messianic believers and why they're all wrong. So again, I want to show you what the argument is they're going to come against you with if you're listening to Messianic teaching, and I want you to understand how their argument works. Let me go ahead in advance and tell you that I really appreciate this guy's book because this is one of the best books I've ever found that demonstrates how a Christian can take Scripture and then tell you the opposite of what it says. That's how far in error this man is. Quite honestly, if I was sitting and having a conversation with him personally, and I would love to, it would be a conversation somewhat similar to when Yeshua was meeting with some religious Jews in his day in John chapter 8. In which the John chapter 8, it begins with the words, and there were some Jews who believed in him who came to speak with him. At the end of the conversation, Yeshua is saying to these men, you are not the sons of God, you are the sons of the devil. Your father is the father of lies. Because this book is filled with lies. Lies about the scripture, lies about God, lies about messianic believers, but he is spouting exactly what Christian leaders teach. And from that standpoint, I'm very pleased he's done this. This is solid evidence as to what we're up against. So let me begin by doing a little bit of review for you. Let me tell you the chapters that he wrote in his book and the comments and the areas that he went through. He is going to give you a description of what's called the roots of Messianic Judaism. I've done a little research and I found out this guy was in the front range of Colorado for a while. Oh, by the way, for those of you who do know about the Messianic movement, the front range of the Colorado, the Denver, Colorado Springs area, and, and northern Colorado area, was a hotbed back 25 years ago in terms of Messianic teaching. There were several Messianic congregations that got established there, and there's some national and international leaders in the Messianic movement today that came out of that region. So a lot of Messianic teaching was being developed there some 25, 30 years ago. And it appears to me that, that, that he saw some of that, and he drew some of his conclusions that he puts in his book, having something similar to what was happening there. Actually, that's the reason why I appreciated his book, because that's where I come from. That's how my messianic teaching was developed. It was in that same time frame, in that same region. So he's really kind of looking at my brethren and I, that we are in the messianic movement. And I've been involved in the messianic movement for some 35 years. And so I, I see him as a credible critic for what we're talking about. And that's the reason why I want to review what he has to say because I think it illustrates it so well. 
So his first chapter is going to talk about the roots of Messianic Judaism. And let me just go ahead and tell you what his great argument is against us. He says, you see, these modern Messianics that we have running around, like me and other brethren that are like me, we can't trace back earlier than us, back through the Middle Ages, all the way back to the first century of Judaism and, and first century Christianity, can't see the traceology of, of where we're at and where we originate, that, we're, that, that this teaching that we're giving to is the original teaching that goes all the way back. He's trying to suggest that Messianic teaching today in this generation is some weird new thing. He is absolutely does not understand the world and doesn't understand what the scripture talks about, nor us. We are part in this generation today, we are part of what this Bible refers to as being the remnant. Now, if you take that word remnant and you go do a little word study, you will find out that that's the thread that originates from Jacob, Abraham to Jacob, through the children of Israel, through all the generations of Israel in the land, all through the prophets, all the way up to the Messiah, all the way to the apostles, all the way through the church history age, all the way to the present day. When you want to talk about traceability and traceability of teachings and so forth, I can make a very clear and certain argument, just like the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 9, when he talks about not all of Israel is Israel, but is a remnant. And he does not understand the concept of the remnant, which is laced through the Scripture. And that's who God has been working with, Israel, all these different generations, all these ages. He's always been working with the remnant. He doesn't understand it. He, he thinks all of Israel went away, and so there's no remnant. It's just him and the church. So that's his first chapter. His second chapter is he goes into a vain effort to explain Messianic Jewish terminology, and he fails to understand that we're using the Hebrew definitions of words. The Hebrew emphasis is put on this book instead of the Greek emphasis. He wants to use, he, apparently he knows a lot of Greek, so uh, he wants to trace everything and, and justify his arguments based on what does it say in the Greek New Testament. Well, as we all know, and we pointed several of these examples out to you, that the Greeks didn't want to be part of the Jews. So guess what? All of their stuff is, is opposed. And so he's quoting from a source that already has a bias the Hellenistic influence that was upon Israel, God was very directly opposed to. The prophets were opposed to that when Yeshua showed up and, and, and the Roman Greco system, you know, that, that is not supported by the scripture. But I accept the fact that it's a common part of our world. It certainly has affected Christianity and they base their definitions their terminology on those things. I've shared with you messianic teachings. You got to get past the Greek. You got to get back to the Hebrew. Now you don't have to be a Hebrew expert to understand it in this book, 
but you have to let Hebrew idioms and Hebrew terminology and Hebrew traditions be a part of your understanding of this. You cannot take Greek definitions that are different from the Hebrew word definitions and lay it over here and make sense out of this book. He seems to think that it's possible that all you have to do is focus on the Greek and you can understand the faith. His next chapter, he says, is Torah really for today? I found this chapter to be very fascinating. I have quite honestly never seen a Christian teacher ever take the word commands, where God gives you commandments, and actually watch a Christian say they're not really commandments. What? Yeah, he's trying to change the definition of commands to where it's something temporary. And since the, the scriptures, when it uses the word commandments, isn't using the word Torah repeatedly, like we Messianics talk about being Torah observant and following the Torah, teaching the Torah and so forth, because it doesn't use the word Torah as often as we may use it, that somehow it's all wrong. You know, I would just remind you just real quickly, that the word rapture is nowhere in this book. But I see lots of Christians talking about the rapture and believing in it, even though the word's never found in here. So, and I don't use that as an argument to say they're wrong. Just because the word rapture is not in here doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. You have to, you have to use other evidence than that. What I call that, that effort to change actual words and change meanings of words, that is a, a silly argument to diminish what we believe by simply saying, well, you said the word commandment. I don't think it really is. Really? You use the word Torah, which means instructions in righteousness, the teaching. Oh, it, 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 the Bible doesn't really use that. Excuse me. This book is full of instructions in righteousness. The first five books are credited with being the Torah. Okay. That's what it's been called by teachers of this book for many generations, going back millennia since it's been given. But yet he wants to just deny that. He then says the following. He, he jumps in there and he says, hey, you know, Jesus fulfilled all of this. And as I shared with you before, Christians like to take the word when Yeshua said in Matthew 5, 17, I came to fulfill it. They like to define that word as mean it's completed, it's done away with, it's gone, we don't have to deal with it anymore, and, and he made it go away. And so he gives that argument. Well, you know, really, guys, fundamentally, that is the key argument here. If Yeshua really came to do the work of redemption and he decided that he's going to change all of the commandments that were given at Mount Sinai, all the instruction that was given through Moses on how the children of Israel are to behave with one another, and that he came and he was going to change it, why didn't he say that? I hear him saying that Jesus came to do that, but I don't hear Jesus saying that. I hear Jesus saying, the Father and I are one. 
I hear Yeshua the Messiah saying, I came to do the will of my Father. I don't hear him saying, I came to transform things and make it better for you and, and make a few modifications and just render many of the instructions that Moses gave you. They're just not relevant to your life anymore. I never heard him say that. I don't hear the apostles teaching that. I hear every writer of this book, the apostles, the Messiah, the prophets, Moses, I hear them saying very clearly and very succinctly that your life is based on what God has said, and you better do what God has said. He has said to us, what I've given to you is so that you might live, and that if you don't do what I say, it leads to death. It, it, it's put in the, in the form of you want to live. Now, if a, if a man comes and tells you not to do this, you know what he's teaching you? He's teaching you death. He's leading you away from where God says, this is how you will live. And he's telling you another way to live. Guess who is the great architect of that? The devil. It's the devil who made the first argument. Has God really said that? You know, you don't have to do what God said. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you another way where you don't have to do exactly what God said. It's kind of right, but it's not really right. That's the argument of the devil. That principle of what the devil does, you think that's a one-time event back in the garden? You think that hasn't been going on throughout the ages? You think that you don't see the history of Israel constantly being tempted and led astray away from the Lord through the influence of other nations, through the influence of their own lusts, and, and the same thing happens to us. You don't think you're not tempted in your faith for the devil to get you to walk away from the Lord and not do what the Lord says? It's an ongoing struggle. And I can assure you, that if you start following some of these messianic teachings and you start keeping the commandments of the Lord, even the little ones like keeping Sabbath and not eating pig anymore, the devil's going to come after you. He don't want you doing what the Lord says. He's going to do everything he can to deceive you. He's even going to send you some admirable teachers whom you would think you know, those are believers, they're, they're our brethren, and they're going to tell you things. They're misled to begin with, they're deceived already, and they're going to attempt to pass on the deception to you. It comes down as simple as not saying what the Lord says and saying something else. This guy actually thinks that his opinion is superior to what God has said. I don't think, not kind of a little bit, I mean he really truly believes that his assessment, his theological understanding of this book and everything in here is far superior to what has been taught by Moses, far superior to what Yeshua actually said, far superior to the apostle. And yet, he makes reference to them to pick and choose certain phrases and words to justify that his assessment is far superior to what the commandments of the Lord are. I shared with you before, Yeshua said, don't even think 
that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't even allow yourself to play a thought about it that he specifically said, I came to fulfill. Let me take the logic of that statement. There's two parts. I'm just going to reverse the sequence. See what it, see if it holds true to what a Christian says. Let's have Yeshua say it this way. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Do not even think that I came to abolish it. Now, the logic of that is exactly the same logic if I say, think not if I come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill it. But the reason why there appears to be a difference in the logic is because they've taken the word fulfill and they've given it a definition that doesn't even work in English. It's a theological definition they've made. They've distorted the words, the translation, and clearly the understanding. His way of explaining Yeshua fulfilling the law, he does the same thing I did. I took you from Matthew chapter 5 and showed you Yeshua teaching the Torah. You remember, you know, the phrase where he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he started going through a series of commandments, certain big commandments, and he was teaching that you obey the commandments from the heart. Well, lo and behold, that is what the teaching of Moses is, but Judaism didn't teach that. Yeshua came teaching the Torah the way Moses said it, not the way the Jews said it, not the way the religious Jews said it. He said it the way Moses and the prophets actually said it. He taught that way. And all of a sudden, this guy here in Christianity, he thinks that's a whole new teaching of the Torah. No, that is the proper teaching of the Torah. What Yeshua taught is the proper teaching of the Torah. And he decides, or you'll love the logic of this. Well, you know, if you look at Matthew 5 and chapter, uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he's kind of doing that teaching, he went through a number of commandments. He gave a number of instructions, okay? A number of things that we're supposed to follow, what Yeshua said. He agrees, those are things, those are commandments, we should be keeping those. And he suggests, are you ready for this? Because he did not cover all 613 commandments, that somehow the ones he didn't mention, they don't apply anymore. In Matthew 5, six and seven, he says, specifically he said, he didn't mention circumcision or keeping kosher. Therefore, circumcision and kosher is no longer applicable to us as believers of Yeshua. You've got to be kidding me. You have, no, he's not kidding. That's how distorted this man's thinking is. Let me give you a rather interesting example, and this is, the, this is the way I've explained it. Anybody who says to me, well, I don't see that repeated in the New Testament, therefore I don't think what we have to do, what Moses said over here. And that's, a, that's an argument made by Christians. If it's in the New Testament, we'll keep it, but if it's not in the New Testament, we don't have to do what it said over there. So let me pose a question to you. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the one about, you shall not take God's name in vain. No question, it's a commandment in the law. Show me in the New Testament where anybody ever taught that. 
You won't find it. Nobody in the New Testament takes that specific commandment and gives any additional instruction on it. In the, But I'll guarantee you, in your heart right now, if I ask you point blank as a Christian, do you believe it's okay to take God's name in vain right now? I'll bet you would say no. And you know why you'd be right? It's because God in the new covenant said he took those commandments and wrote them on the tablets of your heart. You know that to be a commandment inside of you. That's evidence that he wrote the same commandments on the tablets of your heart. Now, this guy is saying, well, if it's not repeated in the New Testament, it's not valid. According to his logic and his thinking and his teaching, you can take God's name in vain as much as you want. Since it didn't get repeated in the New Testament, since Yeshua didn't specifically mention it when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, okay, we don't have to do it. Fascinating. The logic here is stunning. These guys are actually teaching other people the faith. Are they teaching to obey the Lord? No, they are actually teaching how to fend off what God has said and don't do what God said. That's their teaching of the faith? Yes, that is exactly what they do. And for those of you who are Christians listening to me, think about it. What have you been taught? Were you taught to obey the Lord? Or were you taught, oh, you don't have to do the law? There's a gentleman that is, I believe, in Singapore. I think his name is Joseph Prince. Forgive me if I, I don't get the name. He's got a major program on Christian television. I've only watched his program maybe a dozen times. Out of the dozen times I've watched, you know what his main argument is? He preaches every, every, every time I hear him why you shouldn't keep the law of Moses. That's all he teaches. And this guy's international. He's got quite a following. And all he wants to talk about is about God's grace is far superior, and you don't have to keep the commandments that God gave through Moses from Mount Sinai. He's, I mean, adamant about it. That's We have teachers like that. I love this part. He also gets into suggesting that there's different ways of obeying what Yeshua said that are not really commands. In other words, he's opposed to the idea that you would obey commands of God. Now, I'm going to use, I'm going to add just a few of my own words, and this is not to an attempt to mischaracterize what he said, because I believe that what I am describing is a proper characterization of what he said, but I'm going to say it in a couple of different words so that you can get the grasp on what he's really doing, because this is a subtle argument he puts together. He says essentially that commands, even from Yeshua in the New Testament, are things you take under advisement. They are, shall we say, tips and suggestions. But don't go around saying we're obeying the commands of God. Don't say it that way. That sounds way too much like you're going to be talking to Moses and about the commands God gave him. And to make sure there's no confusion, let's talk about what Yeshua taught wasn't really commands of God. They were more of tips and suggestions on how to enjoy and walk out the faith.
Now, it's one thing to deny certain commandments that God has given, and your theology says we, we're not, that's not applicable to us. It's a whole nother thing when you take the very words of Yeshua and say, well, you, you can be successful in the faith by just taking what he says under advisement. You should just be nice to one another. Not you should love your neighbor as yourself, which is the command, but just be nice and love one another. How you pull that off is just fascinating to me. Let me read. I want to read directly from the book. I want to substantiate what I just shared with you. And in his book, I can get to the right page. This is under the chapter, is the old covenant still in effect? So what he's going to do is he's going to take the part of the Bible you call the old covenant, the Old Testament, he's going to say, let's talk about those commands that's in that part of the Bible, and let's see what he has to say with regard to all those commands and so forth. His opening statement of that chapter is, Christ came to transform the law. That is absolutely a false statement. He came to do the work of redemption in accordance with the law and the prophets. That's what he came to do. He did not, his purpose of coming had to do with salvation and saving us. His purpose was not come and change the rules for another religion. But that's what this guy is arguing. This is his first sentence trying to explain away the Old Testament. Oh, Christ came to change all that. You know that, don't you? Read a little bit further. He reads down in the same paragraph of this point. He says, but the old covenant established membership by ritual and chosen ethnicity. Identity was not a choice. You know what he's trying to say? Hey, you had to be born of Jacob to be a part of that faith. And those commandments really were just for that particular ethnicity, just for those particular poor people born there. It wasn't, it wasn't, that's not what Jesus came to do. That's a lie. The scripture emphatically says, and this is what God said to Abraham, in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. What I'm purposing with you, Abraham, is for the benefit of the whole world. He further says that he established the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations, all the nations. It was understood that salvation was going to be given to all peoples, tribes, and tongues and that Israel was simply the vehicle that was going to bring forth so that God could accomplish all of that. So when the Messiah came, he came out of the nation of Israel that was established by God for that purpose to come and do the work of redemption. By the way, I know that Christians know this. I know even this guy knows this, and I know that the fact that I just said this in, in a response to him, he ought to be correcting that statement immediately. He himself could not support that statement. I don't know of a single Christian who can support that statement when you point out what did the Messiah come for. We haven't even gotten into what he's going to be doing in the future, but what did he come for? Why did God send his son to us? So we might be saved. 
He did not come, and John 3.16 does not say he came to do away with the law of Moses or modify it or transition it or any other religious nonsense. Forgive me for preaching just a bit about this. Let me read some additional things he had to say. This is not just a spurious thing he's decided to say. I'm reading now from page 48 where he says, Importantly, with a new covenant or contract, a new law or set of conditions is instated. Christ is the end of the old law. God did not make contracts with us, with mankind. He didn't make a contract with Adam. He didn't make a contract with Moses and the children of us. He made a covenant. Let me explain, when you get married, you don't make a contract with your wife. You might make a contract with a businessman or somebody that you work with, but you don't make covenant. You make covenants with people that your entire life is involved with them. It's about, it's the teaching of the difference between swearing an oath and just making a promise. Apparently, this man does not understand the modes of speech about how we speak and communicate with one another. When you make a covenant, it's forever. When you make a covenant, it's without conditions. When I, when I get married to my wife, I made a covenant with her. I made a vow to her, and I said, I'm going to be your husband for better or for worse, sicker or healthy, poor or richer. It doesn't make any difference what the conditions are that we're going to, I'm going to be your husband. And there's no time limit until I'm able to do it. The only way it will end is if I'm not around anymore. I'm still going to do this. What do you think the agreement is that God made with Israel? It was forever. In fact, God himself, Yeshua himself, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about the law of Moses and the prophets. Do you know what he says about that covenant that God made with him? He said, unless heaven and earth goes away, this covenant will remain. This guy is saying, oh, that covenant went away when Jesus showed up. Well, what about the statement about heaven and earth is supposed to go away before it goes away? Oh, let's ignore that. Do you think that's honest teaching? Or does that teaching sound like it's in air, in big time air? This is standard Christian teaching. Messianic teaching says when God made a covenant with Israel, it is forever. And God, when he makes covenants, he keeps them forever. There are no conditions for God. And I've, I've took you back and I reminded you when God made that covenant with Abraham, you remember when he, he had Abraham flay the different sacrifices apart and, and flayed them open and, and God came as a whirling fiery tornado and walked down through the middle of the sacrifices and, and God made a covenant with Abraham and told him what he was going to do with him and so forth. Abraham never walked down through there. Only God walked down through there. And by the way, the understanding of that covenant is each person, as you walk down through it, you make the covenant, you say, if I don't keep this covenant, may I be flayed open just like these sacrifices. 
God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. By the way, that includes you and me. And he said, if I don't keep the covenant with you, may I be flayed open like those sacrifices. Do you understand why Yeshua had to die for us? Because God, when he made the covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm going to keep both parts of the covenant. I'm going to keep my part, and I'm going to keep your part, Abraham. If you fail to keep this covenant, I will be flayed open on your behalf. I will pay the price for you. What did Yeshua come to do? Pay the price for us. Because we failed to keep the covenant that God made with us. We, we failed to keep it. And so he had to come and pay the price. The whole redemption story that we teach about why he's the Savior is based on those things. Now, I'm pretty certain that if I was sitting with this author or any other Christian teacher, he would be asserting to me that the predominant doctrine about the Messiah should be about his salvation for us. In fact, I, I've had many conversations with him, and that, that's what they put up front. Even when I'm trying to explain, yeah, but we're supposed to obey the Lord. We're, especially after we get saved, we're definitely supposed to obey the Lord. And they want to argue, and they want to argue that the salvation is the most important part of what Yeshua came to do. Terrific. This guy is saying the opposite of even Christian teaching. Now, he gives an example. I love this example. He gives an example about how when the law was given, that it was always understood that it was ultimately one day going to fade away, go away, wouldn't, wouldn't last forever. He's, uh, he, he decides to make that argument. That it, it, Monty is saying, no, this covenant will remain forever. As long as heaven and earth is around, it remains. No, he's saying, no, no, that, that was never the concept. He wants to ignore the words about heaven and earth going away. And he takes one example that comes from the Passover. And it's about the subject of Passover, about the sprinkling of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. I want you to listen to this, the logic of this. Reading from page 49, he says, the sprinkling of blood. This rite associated with Passover also seems permanent from English versions of Exodus 12, 23 through 24, quoting, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons. Here it sounds like Passover is something that endures forever, as if we need to put goat or lamb blood around our door frames every year. So I have a feeling this guy has never kept a Passover Seder in his life. Because it's very clear in Exodus chapter 12, there's a statement about historically what took place back in Egypt. And what historically took place was, yes, they took the blood of a lamb and with hyssop, they put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the door, and they stayed in their house that night when the angel of the Lord came and passed over Egypt 
and thus God passed over them, and death did not enter their house. But in all of the Egyptians' homes that did not have the blood, death came in, and the firstborn of Egypt were slain. Then Moses is instructed by God, you will make a memorial of this, and each year I want the children of Israel to remember this by keeping a memorial of the Passover. Now, they left Egypt, okay? They're out in the wilderness. Were they supposed to, were they commanded by God to slaughter another lamb and put the blood on their tent posts and on their doorposts and so forth, which is what historically took place? And Yeshua, when he kept the Passover with his disciples, did they take the blood of some of the lamb and put it over the doorposts of the upper room where they had the Passover? No, they did not. Because there's a clear distinction with the right, in other words, the memorial commandment that God has given to us versus the historical thing that took place. This man is suggesting that the reason why the law is going away is because Nobody is supposed to be putting the, door, the lamb on the door today. That that's the evidence that the law has gone away. The law is there shall be a memorial. When you keep the Passover, you're keeping what the law said. You're not going back and recreating the historical event. By the way, I, I got to tell you the truth here. I actually had to deal with some Messianic brethren back several years ago, who wanted to go back and do this, literally. They thought they should slay a lamb and put it over the doorpost. And I had to go, and I said, guys, come on. Use your brain. There's a historical event, and then there's a commandment to memorialize it. God has only commanded you to do the memorial part. He's not commanded you to go back and play like you're with the Egyptians because you're not with the Egyptians. That's not the conditions you're in. You're in your homes at other places, but you want to remember. And by the way, there's a lot of commandments in the Torah based on the story of what God did with the patriarchs and what God did with Israel, historical Israel, that you and I are commanded to go back and remember. In fact, the commandment of Sabbath is a commandment of remembrance. Remember to keep the Sabbath holy. Why? Because the Sabbath came with the creation. Remember to keep the Sabbath, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. It's only the law only came along and reminded you you're supposed to remember doing that. Yet they dismiss it out of the silliest of reasons. He gives other examples, especially when he gets into the Levitical priesthood. I, I don't have time to go into the Levitical priesthood and explain to you, but a lot of Christians think the Levitical priesthood is over and done. And they use that as an evidence, see, the law has gone away with. We don't have any more Levitical priesthood. Well, the reason why we don't have a Levitical priesthood is because God kicked us out of the land of Israel and allowed the enemies to destroy the temple, and we lost the whole system, the whole temple system. That's the reason why we don't have any Levitical priests. But if we get a temple system again, I guarantee you there will be a Levitical priesthood. Oh, by the way, I have news for you, brethren. The prophecy in the future 
concerning the kingdom definitely says there will be a Levitical priesthood. It didn't go away. The logic here being used by this is short-sighted, completely misrepresenting, you know, what the scripture said. My friends, as you will have conversations with your family, your friends, and other churchmen and brethren that you know, they're not going to be using arguments like this guy has or others that I've done. They're just simply not going to be understanding what you do. They simply don't know what the Bible has really taught. In fact, most of them have never read it. Most of them have definitely not studied it. They've never had a teacher teach them the commandments. And as a result, they're going to look at you keeping these commandments and they're going to be confused. They're going to say, something's, something's crazy here. Why are you doing that? And if you use just simple answers like, well, I'm trying to obey the Lord, you have to understand they've been indoctrinated that you don't obey the Lord or his commandments if you believe in Jesus. That's probably the biggest lie they've been taught. The biggest one. Once you are saved, once you have been redeemed by the master, I, I have news for you. You owe your life to him. And your heart, if you truly believed in him, is supposed to be yielded to the point that whatever he says that he wants you to do, you want to do it wholeheartedly what he wants. Now, there's some people that have made the transition and said, hey, I didn't realize the Lord said I was supposed to do this. And then there's others that just ignore it and all they ever hear is a salvation message about accepting Jesus, and they never hear anything beyond it. That's the world we live in. That's the difficulty we're having. That's the reason why we're having these Messianic teachings for Christians. I'll look forward to seeing you in our next program. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.